Well, good morning, and welcome to the services this morning. We want to thank you for being here today and, and pray that you've been fulfilled, that you've been edified, that you've been lifted up and encouraged. So far, the service with the, with the song service, the prayers, remembering our Lord this morning, and fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I hope and pray that we occasionally take time to think about the great blessing that God has given us with the family of God. We've been adopted as his children, and with that comes the blessing of the church family that we have here. The fact that we can come here and feel welcomed and feel loved and have people to share our lives with. I hope we pray and hope and pray we take time to to think about those things occasionally. And this morning we want to examine the idea of unity within a local church body. Specifically this morning we want to talk about the idea of unity in the midst of preferences or unity in the midst of opinions. And I want to start this morning with Romans chapter 14. If you would, grab a Bible in front of you. I'd like to examine a text from Paul to the Christians there at Rome. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14 as we begin this morning. This will serve as our theme text and also as a guide for our message. Romans chapter 14. Paul says this in Romans chapter 14. He says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that despise, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks." For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? 
Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he, what wit he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. Romans chapter 14. And I want to start this morning by having a good understanding of exactly what is being taught here in this passage. In fact, he starts in Romans 14 and 1 and says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he made all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. First thing I want us to understand very clearly this morning is that Paul makes a statement separating people. He says, receive the one who is weak in the faith. And understand, if Paul is claiming one is weak, there must be one who is strong, or at least stronger. He says, receive the weak one, but not to doubtful disputations. Doubtful there in the Greek is a reasoning, or a thought, or a line of thinking, and disputations means disagreements or arguments. In fact, if you read ESV, it says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's how Romans 14 starts. Paul calls for unity, calls for us to be bound together, but then says, don't argue over preferences. Verse 2 tells us that there's a separation between those who may, be, may think they may eat all things and those who are weak only eat herbs. And I get this is comical. This has been a punchline for a long time, right? Well, Ethan, they're weak because they don't eat meat. That's the joke we always say, Right? But I want to examine chapter 14 to get a better sense of why they're weak. Romans 14 and 5 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So one side of the opinion says some days are better than others. The other side says every day is the same. You have anybody in your family that goes all out for Christmas? Have anyone who's already started decorating for Christmas? I can tell you we were starting the process November the 1st. My wife loves Christmas. She gets excited for Christmas. She loves the holidays, loves celebrating with family. She may esteem one day greater than another, but there are those here that do not. There may be those here who couldn't care any less that Christmas is coming upon us, right? It's all about our preferences. So we have two issues here in Romans chapter 14. There is one group of people who says we can eat all things and we esteem every day just alike. And another group of people that say we can only eat herbs or certain things and that some days are more important than others. And this is where context matters immensely. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a Jew who's about to be converted in 57 AD. And we're going with 57 AD because that shows where about the Roman epistle was written. But you're a Jew. Your entire life you've been dedicated to following the law of God. You were raised from a child to know the law of God. And there are certain things that you know you have to follow. You've kept the Sabbath. You've made yearly sacrifices with the priest. You haven't eaten that unclean thing. You've done your absolute best to keep the law. In fact, your entire family is full of people just like you that have the same moral compass, follow the same law, the same rules, if you will. And you follow that your entire life. You don't know anything else. And one day in walks Paul on one of his journeys, and he walks into the synagogue where you are. And he turns to you and shows you out of Isaiah that the Messiah has come, and you're convicted and baptized for the remission of your sins. No more rolling back. Complete forgiveness, right? And you're excited 
and you show up to worship the next Sunday morning and you realize real quick, God just hasn't saved the Jews. The Gentiles are here now too. All those people that you were at odds with, those people tossed out into the world, God has now brought them into the fold. And you find out real fast, they might do things a little differently than you do. You have your first potluck and in walks Sean with a bowl of crawfish etouffee and pulled pork, right? We got issues now, don't we? Now imagine, same scenario, but you're a Gentile. You were saved. You had no religion. Maybe Acts 17, you just worship the unknown God, right? And you're excited to be there. And all those Jews that you thought were weird, all those people that were sacrificing live animals that still dress a little weird according to their time, those people are standing there when you get to worship. And you have these two types of backgrounds coming together to worship God for the first time under the banner of the cross. You think we might have some conflict? Think we might have some issues? Think we might have some trouble with our preferences and our opinions joining together? You better believe it. And if you don't read literally any epistle of the New Testament, you'll see the idea of unity interwoven in that message in some form or fashion. You see, this was a problem. And the driving wedge of preference happens because of the liberty we now have under Christ. The liberty we have under Christ doesn't force us to follow all those rules. I can eat meats now. We can work on Saturdays. There's a lot of liberty that Jesus brought to us, but how would you feel if you were that Jew? Your whole life you didn't eat like the Gentiles. And after undergoing baptism and reaching the blood of Jesus, all of a sudden you can? Would feel weird, would it not? Something that was sin 30 minutes ago, you're free to enjoy now? It's a little awkward. Remember verse 2, another who is weak eateth herbs. You know why he's eating herbs? Maybe because he's done it for 60 years, right? Maybe he doesn't want to change. And guess what? First point in Romans 14, that's okay. And he's deemed as weak, not because of what he's eating, but because he doesn't understand the liberty he has under the banner of the cross. Look at verse 5 again. Same scenario. Those described as weak don't understand the liberty they have in Jesus. Those who are stronger do. That's the division. Based on understanding the liberty we have under the cross. And you may say, well, Ethan, that's great, but we aren't Jews and Gentiles coming together anymore. We've gone to, gone to church our whole lives, right? That's what we think. Well, I want you to examine a few ideas for a minute this morning. I want you to think about where you stand on these issues. Where should your kids go to school? Should they go to public school, private school, home school? What about your preferred Bible translation? You like KJV, ESV, NIV, NLT? I can keep naming more. What university should your kids attend? What types of music are okay for a Christian to listen to? What about dancing? Is it okay for a Christian to dance? What about at weddings? Is it okay for a Christian couple to dance at a wedding? Or is it not? Tattoos. Is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? Should we only have certain tattoos in certain locations? What's your thought on that? Big one with COVID. Should we get vaccinated? What's your thoughts on that? Types of clothes. What's okay for someone to wear? 
These are all very hot topics, very difficult topics that we have to navigate through in our Christian lives. But I want you to understand this morning is that every single one of these is an opinion. And every single one of us has a stance on these ideas. Every single one of us right now, unfortunately, is probably also thinking about someone in our mind that disagrees with our opinion. And that's the bad part. And I would even go as far as to say we may be thinking negative thoughts about someone who shares a different opinion than I do on this topic. And that is where our problem lies. We should all have opinions. It's okay to have opinions. But the problem is when my opinion and someone else's different opinion drives a wedge between me and a brother or sister in Christ. That's the issue. Preferences, when not filtered through Romans 14, become division every single time, plain and simple. And you've all seen it. Pick one of these topics or 150 more. Preference has caused resentment, has caused hatred, has caused generational disdain between families in the church. And to that I say, shame on us. Shame on us. So what do we do? How do we fix this? I think it starts with understanding Romans 14. And I want to tell you this morning, this is stuff we have got to be able to do. It's vital to understand these concepts if we're going to have unity in the local congregations and also in the church universal. My goal this morning is not to tell you to not have opinions. My goal this morning is also not to change your opinion about anything, and we'll see why here in a minute. My goal is to give us a framework on how to take our preferences and make sure, number one, I understand that my preference and my opinion is okay. And number two, it's completely okay to have a difference of opinion with a brother or sister in Christ. And number three, because of that, my opinion should never under any circumstance cause division within the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. That's my goal this morning, to exegete this chapter and take three simple points away on understanding how to navigate our preferences within the church. Point number one this morning, read with me again, Romans fourteen four. He says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more. But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. First point this morning, instead of passing judgment, I need to actively choose to love. Instead of passing judgment, I need to actively choose to love. And we need to understand first this morning that there's a difference between judgment and passing judgment. Judgment, for example, is not always a bad thing. It includes basic decision makings. In fact, we have to be able to make judgment calls in our lives, right? For example, I have to judge whether or not my significant other is someone I should be dating, 
or someone I should marry. You'd be a fool if you didn't make a judgment call and married someone, right? We also have to make judgment calls on maybe where we're going to eat after church this morning. You had to make a judgment call on what you wore to church this morning, right? We all make judgments. But there is a stark difference between judging and passing judgment. The idea of passing judgment incorporates the idea that I know the heart. And it entails the idea that I can understand someone's motives, that I can understand someone's desires, and I can know their thoughts. And because of that, I judge them because of it, and I pass judgment on to them. For example, maybe, maybe Brad comes to me and says, well, I went and visited brother so-and-so today at the hospital. He said he's doing well. I went ahead and called the elders and updated them on what's going on, and I prayed with them before I left, right? So here's where the judgment side of things plays in, making a judgment call. I perceive, and it's not hard for me to perceive, that what Brad did was a good thing. He visited the sick. He prayed for the sick. He edified, lifted up, encouraged a brother, and then he let the elders know of a situation and how someone's doing. Right? We can all agree that that's a good thing. And I have to make a judgment call that that was a good thing in my life, right? Obviously, if Brad came to me and said, hey, we don't miss you, buddy. We don't miss you at La Prada, so you keep getting sicker. That would be a problem, right? That would be a negative judgment call. We have to be able to judge, right? But passing judgment is completely different. It encapsules the idea that I know the heart and the motives behind someone. So same situation. Brad comes to me, let me show you what passing judgment looks like. Well, of course, Brad is telling me once again that he's doing good for the church. And not only that, but under the premise of updating the elders, he called the elders to let them know about all the good that he's doing. In fact, Brad doesn't even care about that person in the hospital. He just wants the glory for going. That's passing judgment. And do you see what I've just done? I've put a bitter taste in my mouth about Brad. And the problem is, you know who knows why Brad visited the sick? Not me. Brad and God. That's it. And so what I have done is I have assigned motives and I've assigned a feeling and I've assigned a thought to Brad. And I have claimed that I know his heart and I know his motives and I know his intentions. You see the problem there? You think that has the potential to cause divisions? To cause strife? between me and Brad based off of something I came up with in my head, completely unrelated to what Brad actually did? You better believe it. And opinions and preferences are the same way. Maybe because someone has a different opinion than me, a different preference than me, I start to believe that I know where their heart's at in that issue. And the fact that they don't love Christ, the fact that they have a different preference than me on a Bible principle, so on and so forth, I judge them because of that. And division happens every single time. So how do we stop passing judgments? How do we stop having those negative thoughts creep into our minds and create division? And I think the answer is simple. Like mentioned earlier, we've got to choose to love. We talked earlier about the fact that most of these epistles written to the early churches incorporate the idea of unity. And most of the churches, the reason they wrote about unity was because they were having a lot of divisions. And one of those churches, a real famous one, is the church at Corinth. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3, Paul says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? 
In chapters 1 through 3, the Corinthian church is dividing themselves into groups based on partiality. You may remember Paul telling them some are of Apollos and some of you say you're of Paul. That kind of thing. They're dividing over preference. We had issues in chapter 5 with those who were tolerating sin versus those who were not tolerating sin. Now that's more on the line of doctrine and understanding what sin is, but it's still a division. And then in chapter 8, we find divisions over meats and things offered to idols. Once again, dividing over preference. And then in chapter 12, we have division again over spiritual gifts. A church plagued by division and fueled by differences in preference. But I want to notice how Paul handles this situation. Chapter 12 is about divisions over gifts. And I'm not going to read it to you this morning, but I encourage you to do so. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 30. But I'll jog your memory a little bit this morning. It's about unity in the body of Christ. About how the body is made of many members and how the body can't function without every member. You remember all that. And it's all in relation to spiritual gifts, the division that's over them. And in verse 31 of chapter 12, Paul concludes that message of unity by saying this. He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, y'all keep dividing over this. Y'all keep dividing over that. You covet the best gifts. You give preference to people. You're prideful. You divide over opinions. And in the midst of all that division, I'm going to show you a better way. And then Paul gives a discourse over love. And we use 1 Corinthians 13 all the time, right? We use it in weddings. It was in my wedding, matter of fact. But as much as I can apply that to the marriage covenant context... This was written to a church having problems. A church plagued with division. A church plagued with hatred for one another. And a church plagued with sin. And Paul's solution is, you've got to figure out how to love one another. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Understand this morning, this is absolutely showing that miracles and all those things of that sort are going to cease. It's showing that love is going to be the way that we're going to bring people to Christ. And I couldn't agree more. But don't miss the context that this is Paul teaching a divided church the importance of loving one another. And the reality is this. Oftentimes, instead of figuring out how to do this, Instead of figuring out how to love my brothers and sisters, I instead go to people who share my opinions. And I go to people who share my preferences. I don't have to work to love someone who's identical to me. That's the reality. I do have to work to love people who are different than me. You know what would help me not pass judgment on Brad in that situation we talked about earlier? Is if I looked at Brad and I didn't think evil. If I could look at Brian, who has a different opinion than I do on tattoos, and I had a little patience, maybe I could stop judging him. 
If I could look at someone that has a different preference in X, Y, and Z on me than me and not seek my own, maybe I wouldn't push my preferences and cause division. The overarching point here when it comes to preferences is I have got to choose, actively choose, to love my brother. And I've got to actively choose to love my sister and not pass judgment because love does not fail. Point number two this morning. Instead of nitpicking preferences, we've got to choose weightier matters of the law. I want to read Romans 14, verse 15. It says, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. I want to pause for a moment. I want to ask you a few questions. And we did the, this exercise with the youth group here, but it's actually from Brother Ty in Houston. And I want to walk you through an exercise for a minute. I want you to look at these choices on the board with me, and I want you to tell me which one's more important or which one you should pursue as a Christian. Love or adultery? Peace or hatred? Joy or murder? Faithfulness or jealousy? Doctrine or abortion? Which one of those do you think is the right choice? Which one do you pursue? Obviously, we're going to choose love over cheating on our spouse, right? Obviously, I'm going to choose peace over hating someone. Obviously, I'm going to choose joy over killing an innocent person, right? But what about these? Which one's more important here? Righteousness or better public speaking? Love or being a good keeper at home? Mercy or having a good work ethic? Justice or being hospitable? That question's a little harder to answer, isn't it? And the problem lies, and the problem a lot of times what we have with these is they're all good things, right? They're all things we should be striving to do in the kingdom of God, things we should be striving to follow, but the point here is some matter more. And that's what I want us to understand. And it comes down to a fundamental difference between legislation and principles. When interpreting the word of God, we have to keep in mind the difference between the legislation of God or God's laws and the general principles that he aligns for us to follow. Laws are things that are not left up to any kind of interpretation. Things like commands, rebukes, or rules. Think of the gospel, what sin is, the way in which we worship, doctrinal matters. These things do not change. The gospel has been the same thing for 2,000 years, and it's not going to change. Lying, black and white, it is sin. Your opinion doesn't matter. Now, the other side of that coin is Bible principles. And these are general guides that God commands us to follow, but allows us a degree of interpretation. For example, what does it mean to be a keeper at home? What does it mean for a leader to be given to hospitality? For a deacon to not be a novice? You see, these are general principles that God commands us to follow, but they do not have a black and white every single time answer as to what it means. You see, then biblical principles are guided by church tradition, family tradition, liberties and judgment, and ultimately opinions and preferences. You see, Lori may teach Emma to be a keeper at home completely differently than Katrina teaches Audrey to be a keeper at home. Does that mean one of them is wrong? Does that mean that only Katrina has the answer of how to be a keeper at home? 
Or do you think Lori may also understand how to be a keeper at home? Can they both be following the same general Bible principle, yet doing it differently? Remember, this is on the preference and principle side, not doctrine. What about giving the hospitality? Let's say Sean invites a few members of, his ho- of the church over to his house for dinner a few times a week, every week. But Jeff never invites people over for dinner. But every time a guest speaker comes into town, they always stay at Jeff's house. Are they not both given to hospitality? Is one more given to hospitality than the other one? Or are they both equally given to hospitality? What about a leader not being a a novice, specifically a deacon not being a novice? Maybe our elders here, when looking at potential leaders, have a higher standard for what they mean as a novice than church elders around the world. Maybe one deacon is more knowledgeable than another deacon. Does that make that less knowledgeable deacon a novice and we need to kick him out? Or can both be generally judged by the general principle of not being a novice? And the point in the relation to the talk this morning is this. Just as I cannot let legislative law become preference or principle, like the gospel becoming something I follow how I want to, I like sprinkling or baptism for an outward showing or saying a prayer, I also cannot let my preference and tradition on principles become a law. I can't cross that middle line. When my preference becomes law, you know what happens? I now start to resent those that have a different preference. Maybe Katrina resents Lori for the way in which she keeps the home. That's preference becoming law, and it promotes division. Maybe Sean believes Jeff is a failure because he doesn't show the hospitality Sean thinks he should, or in the way Sean was raised to show hospitality. That's preference once again becoming a law. And it promotes division every single time. We have to understand the difference between things that are laws that cannot be interpreted and principles that are guided by liberty, by judgment, by tradition, and by preference. Because when we mix those two together, division happens every single time. And the hard thing to understand about this idea is we have to self-examine. We have to self-examine. And if you're sitting there this morning because I was in this boat thinking this doesn't apply to you, and Ethan, you keep on preaching at those people who don't understand this, understand it applies to you more than anybody else in the room. That's the thing about Romans 14. Those who think they have nothing to learn and nothing to change have the most to learn and the most to change. Normally how it works when we talk about these ideas of preferences is goes something like this decision chart here. We think about an issue and the sides it has, and I have to figure out where I stand on that issue. And instead of coming from it with an open eye point of view, coming into it with the right heart, we use this diagram instead. You see, I look at an opinion and I say, do I agree? If I don't agree, well, hold on, that's just an opinion, right? We're fine. We don't have to worry about it. But if I do agree, the next question I ask is, do those closest to me agree? They don't? Well, they're wrong too. Don't worry about it, right? But if they do, let's get together and let's make it a law. That's how we often do this. You see, what we fail to do is we fail to hold ourselves to the standard of Romans 14, and it's because we seek validation. It feels good to have my opinion validated, but you know what happens when your opinion is validated by those around you? Is you can't see the other side anymore, and you can't see it in the right lens, And now me and those who have concluded that our opinion is right, we team up and we decide, well, we got to go change everybody else's opinion. And because we agree with our preference, we follow this flowchart and boom, let's make it a law. 
and everybody else better start following it. That's what happens. We have to keep each other accountable to the Roman 14 teachings. And more than that, I need to come into this situation with the right heart. A heart that truly wants to do what God calls me to do. And i got to leave preferences on the preference side, and i got to leave law on the law side. And I can't mix those. Because when I do, division's going to happen. And so because of that, we got to focus on weightier matters. And it applies to all of us. In fact, I want to read you a passage from Christ in Matthew 23 and 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, nanice, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have to done, and not to leave the other undone. You may remember Zach teaching on this passage a few months ago about living a two-faced lifestyle, right? And this is the passage where Christ is teaching the Pharisees that they're living as hypocrites, using a mask, if you will. And sometimes what we do is we'll pick something we're passionate about, and we will make that our hill. And we will defend that hill at all costs. For the Pharisees at the time, sometimes it was washing hands, sometimes it was circumcision. The question for you is, what is it for you? What's that one preference that's super important to you? Because sometimes that principle that we have a preference on becomes our sense of godliness. And pretty soon we lose sight of the big picture, and now that preference is the only way in which I resemble God. You see, we become willing to overlook a truck of logs in our own eyes to make sure that brother of mine matches my opinion. Once again, shame on us. Have we forgotten the things that matter most? Have we forgotten to value the family that we have here? You see, I've got to be willing to set some of my opinions aside, some of my preferences aside, and focus on the big picture. The question is, how am I ever going to cross boundaries and love like Jesus if I can't cross this middle aisle and have a civil conversation with someone without passing judgment? How are me and Greg ever going to work together to save souls if we can't get past our disagreement on translation preference? How are Katrina and I ever going to fellowship with one another if we can't figure out how to love one another? We have to choose weightier matters. The matters of law, the matters of legislation, and stop dying on the hill of preference if we ever want to find the church united one day. That's what we've got to focus on. Focus on weightier matters. And that leads us to the last point in the morning. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. The final thing we need to do when it comes to preferences and opinions is we need to be Christ-centered and kingdom-focused in mindset. We've discussed the idea this morning that your opinions and preferences are okay, but they shouldn't cause division. We talked about how not to judge somebody who has a different opinion. We've talked about loving our brothers and sisters. We've talked about not pushing our preference on someone and focusing on things that are more important. But what about when my preference is offending someone? What do we do then? What about when me choosing an opinion is placing a stumbling block in the way of someone else? What's my response then? Remember, from earlier in the chapter, he commands specific things to the weak and to the strong. To the weak, he says, don't judge. To the strong, he says, don't despise them. Don't place a stumbling block. 
There are specific things each side needs to do, but I want to take a giant swing at this and say if we can all be Christ-focused and kingdom-focused in mindset, meaning we absolutely and ultimately do everything we do and make choices on the fact that we're going to choose Jesus over everything else and we're going to choose the gospel above all else, we can figure this out. And I want to read you a situation that involves some preferences and opinions this morning in the book of Acts. To set some context here, in Acts chapter 15, Paul had entered Derby and Lystra on his first missionary journey. He had been to Iconium and Antioch and Cyprus, and now he's circling back to Jerusalem. And he gets to Jerusalem, and he's greeted from some men that came down from Judea, as Acts 15 and 1 tells us. And as Paul begins to talk with these men, he hears that they believe Gentiles should be circumcised. I want to read you this account here in Acts chapter 15. He says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth their hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on the, upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. You see, these men convene. Peter talks with them. James ends up talking to them, explaining the liberty that the Gentiles have under Christ that they don't need to be circumcised anymore. And I want you to notice here the response to these thoughts. And by the way, Peter walks in and says, I get you have a preference, but the Gentiles shouldn't be subject to it, is what he just told them. Read with me their response in Acts 15, 22. It says, Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Bersabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves well, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. So these members of the council, this Jewish council, former Jews, thought highly enough to be placed on this council, are told by Peter that the Gentiles have their liberty under Christ. And understand, these men have a preference. Remember, they followed their whole life after God's law. And these people are going to try and follow God, and you're telling me they don't need to be circumcised? That's been the foundation, right? Even Abraham was, father of the faithful. Of course they need to be circumcised, right? But for the sake of the gospel, 
And for the sake of Jesus, they send a letter to the Gentiles saying, we're not going to place that burden on you. They understand the importance of casting aside their preference for the sake of unity. The importance of being gospel and Jesus-focused in outlook. But I want you to notice something else. Acts 16 and 1. Then came he, speaking of Paul, to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were there at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So shortly after this Jewish council convenes and they decide we're not going to push our preferences onto them, Paul comes across a young man named Timothy. And we're very familiar with Timothy, right? Paul takes him under his wing. But notice with me in verse 3, Paul went and circumcised him because of the Jews. Did you catch the situation with chapter 15? Remember, the Jewish Christians just sent out a letter saying, you don't have to do this. We're not going to place that burden on you. We're going to put preference to the side and let you enjoy your liberty in Christ. We're not going to put that burden on you. We're not going to put that yoke around your neck. And you could read further in chapter 15 about how when this letter was received, the Gentiles and the churches rejoiced. Everyone was united. Gentiles aren't being judged for not being circumcised anymore. But Paul and Timothy... Knowing the preference of the Jewish council, knowing the opinion of his brothers and sisters of Hebrew descent, is circumcised. Notice it wasn't something he had to do. In fact, he had just gotten a letter saying you don't have to do it. It's sitting in his hand, right? It's not part of God's new law. And yet, Timothy was circumcised. Are you understanding the magnitude of this situation? Notice with me at the end of that verse, because of the Jews that were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy wasn't circumcised for fun. Wasn't going to feel good, right? That wasn't going to be a fun thing for him to undergo, but he chooses to because of the Jews in those quarters. In other words, Timothy knows their preference and chooses to do something to appease them and further the kingdom of God. So he would be able to have a good reputation with the Jews. He is circumcised. You want to talk about a Christ-centered and kingdom-focused mindset. I want you to notice the result of what this looks like. Verse 5, And so were the churches established in their faith and increased in number daily. Not putting a stumbling block in their way, right? Both sides of these issues have a preference. Both sides believe their preference is right. But both sides choose to love. And both sides choose unity over divisions. And both sides choose to be Christ-centered and kingdom-focused. And look at the result. The numbers increased daily. Can you imagine? This is what a kingdom-focused mindset can lead us to in relation to preferences. But we've got to be willing to do it. Notice they both compromise. And I'm not saying that 100% of the time we should always give up our liberties and every time the strong Christian should submit to the weaker one and vice versa. But what I want you to understand is all of us need to have a kingdom-focused mindset. We've got to focus on unity. And the reality is if I don't get my way but the church is united, so be it. And if it means I need to put up with a different opinion than I have, a different preference than I have, so that we can work together in the kingdom of God, that's okay. 
We have to strive for unity in all things, and we have to put preferences aside, and we have to have the mind of Christ. In conclusion this morning, I want to read you one more verse. Romans 14 and 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. This is what we've got to be focused on. Before I go sharing and pushing opinions on people that didn't ask for them, I want you to consider something. If you could see the ripple effect of what you saying that opinion or pushing that preference is, and you watch it ripple down, and ten years later there's no longer a soul in that pew, I want you to ask yourself a question. Was it worth it? Would it still be worth it? That's what we've got to focus on. As a church, we've got to pursue holiness. We need to strive to fight sin and be Christ-like, but we don't have to strive as a church to make sure everyone matches my preference. Is it worth it? Which one are you going to choose this morning? Pushing your preference or unity in the church? That's the question for your consideration this morning. I thank you for your time this morning. I, I appreciate you listening to this message. And at, at this time, we want to offer an invitation, uh, the invitation of Jesus. He extends a hand, a hand that extends the gift of salvation. But this morning, you have to open that gift. And now is the time of salvation. You can be baptized to walk in newness of life and have eternal life and enjoy the blessings of the family of God that we talked about this morning. Or maybe this morning you've realized you've pushed some preferences and you've done some things you may be ashamed of. Well, this morning we're all about love. We love you and we're ready to bear any burdens that you may have and we're ready to pray for you and we can assist you in either one of those as we stand and as we sing.